Beef Market Update with Ann Wasco on realagriculture.com is brought to you by Haney Farms. Sean Haney here with realagriculture.com for another episode of the Beef Market Update. And for the first time in a long time, Ann Wasco and I are in the same room. There you go. Good are, to be here. How are you doing? I'm great. Well, and as everybody knows with the Gateway Livestock Exchange, uh, you're just passing through. I happened to uh, flag you down on the side of the road and said, come on in and let's talk. It's that uh, time of the year again where the winter speaking season is on and uh, I'm on the road. So gl- glad, glad it worked out. You'd be happy to know that I spoke at the Alberta Milk AGM on Wednesday and uh, a viewer came up to me and said that his favorite part of real agriculture is listening to the beef market update. There you go. Glad I can be part of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so last time we talked, we mentioned it couldn't get worse. Uh, that was about a month ago. This has been a market that's had a lot of struggles. There is a lot of uh, probably frustration or you know, it's testing people's nerves. What's kind of the lay of the land here right now? And let's look at it. We can be. It's easy to be negative, but let's look at it as a kind of a, a, the whole picture. Well, of course, the, the extreme volatility we've seen really since... Uh, um, the first of September is, is like you say, very frustrating uh, for those trying to to trade this market. Um, but having said that, I, I do think you know the market is attempting to send signals in regards to you know bigger supplies ahead. We're looking at record pork supplies in the U.S., record poultry supplies in the U.S. Um, certainly, very sluggish U.S. exports because of the strong dollar, uh, and and at the same time, this global economy. Uh, s- certainly not in favor of a strong demand. So back, if you go back to 2014 and all that, we talked about the perfect storm. How many times back in in 14 and early 15, and uh, you know a lot of the things that happened then we didn't exactly see, and they were better than we thought. You know today maybe one could argue, well, we didn't think it was going to happen this fast, but it, it 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 has changed. The market is changing, and uh, we have to be respectful of that. So when, when this happens, we're everyone's always looking, searching clawing for that that bottom yeah and and usually we typically we don't really know where the bottom was until we've we're already past it exactly um but so what, what do you tell producers when they ask you that question well again you so you're waiting to see obviously cattle feeders have have been losing money on on these on the last uh, several months turns of cattle so they need to get their buy in order so that's what's put the pressure on the feeder market and uh, and they are now getting that job done if you will so um, could you suggest that because we're at a point today where uh, you can actually uh, start to see cattle work that are procured on today's market uh, as a signal to the bottom? That that's typically usually one of the the signals. Yes, we we didn't talk about this earlier in our when we were discussing off record, but uh, has have the grocery stores responded in terms of demand and, and starting to see prices back off a little bit? Two very different stories: U.S. and Canada. Absolutely, in the U.S. Um, Beef prices are still in both countries very high vis-a-vis what we see pork and poultry at. But we are starting to see year-over-year price changes uh, uh, in the U.S. and a lot more featuring. So prices today in the U.S. are on average about the same as last year at retail, but a lot more featuring is starting to happen. Here in Canada, though, prices still remain uh, 12% higher on average uh, at the retail level and not much featuring. And so, again, uh, the difference of the Canadian dollar, I think, is playing a part in there. Um, retailers have, have bought, got some margin back, and I think they're going to try to keep that in their pocket uh, to make up for what they didn't make in 2014. So two very different stories. Some good featuring starting to happen in the States, not so here in Canada. Probably a lack of 
because of lack of competitive atmosphere in the in the grocery market. Oh, exactly, and and you've still got uh, ample supplies of uh, of competitive meats priced competitively. Okay, so that's the next thing we're going to talk about is feeder cattle exports. Now, with a weak Canadian dollar, I think a lot of there was a lot of feed yards locally here uh, around Lethbridge. I know they had emailed or called me and said. With a low Canadian dollar, all of we're not going to be able to buy any feeder cattle. They're all going to leave. Uh, that hasn't happened. No. Now, in the first half of the year, for for uh, listeners that remember, we talked about feeder cattle experts early in 2015. We're running at a pretty active pace, like they were the last winter. But since the first of July, we've certainly seen that stop. And um, just since the first of July, feeder cattle exports are down like 67 percent. Um, and when you look at the prices here in Canada, even at a 75 cent dollar, they're still technically well above that U.S. feeder cattle futures or, or the, the base U.S. floor price, if you will. And again, that's a strong basis environment, um, just like we've talked about with fat cattle, where we've seen fat cattle prices, uh, even though they're down, they're still above that U.S. floor equivalent uh, in many, many weeks. So it means the feeder cattle stay here, even with the situation where we've got technically a feed cost advantage if you were to feed in the U.S. versus Canada. So it's not always just about Canadian dollar or feed costs. It also plays into basis levels. And today, feeder cattle here are stronger than the U.S. Well, based on the losses feed yards have suffered, maybe we wish they all would have left. Well, maybe. But don't forget the U.S. cattle feeder lost money a lot sooner and longer than the Canadian. So maybe this is just a catch-up. Yeah. Well, the U.S. cattle feeder is... Is it still the case where they have had a much worse year than the Canadian cattle? Oh, absolutely. I mean, since since the get-go, since late 14, they've really been in a negative position, whereas we just started to see these losses in the last few months here in Canada. And again, the difference being that exchange rate cushioned that change. So we're through the later part of the fall here. Uh, a lot of calves have come to market. How does the rancher look back on the fall of 15. Big range. I mean, if, if a rancher priced calves, uh, pre-sold calves early on or sold calves early on, um, you know, bigger, best price he's ever seen, better than last year, probably the highest price he'll ever see. Um, prices here now, of course, are at or below year-ago levels. Uh, but, you know, don't forget last year we thought this was a pretty good calf market too. So these are still profitable levels. I think now... So it's always easy to, like you said at the beginning, it's always easy to look back and say, oh, you know, I missed the high or I, I didn't call the low or, or whatever. But going forward, it's still going to be, you know, a good, have been a good year to sell calves from a profitability perspective. Now I think the focus has to be, um, you know, we're, we're going into the next phase of the cycle, so lower prices ahead. And um, now it'll start to be dependent on exchange rate, feed costs, weather, you know, all those kinds of things that always are factors in our market. So are we more likely to retain uh, and build our herd as the market pulls back a little bit because there's a little bit less man I got to get I got to sell everything because these this these prices are unreal. I you know the, the 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 data right now doesn't support us doing much of anything. The US I've talked about has had has moved into an aggressive expansion phase. They're they're going to add 3 to 3.5 million head of beef cows from 2014 lows to 2017. So they're going to add the equivalent of Canada's beef cow herd in the U.S. We haven't done anything, and I don't think much changes. You know, you could argue there's a little bit of growth here for the yeah. ne- for the guy down the road that that sells some cows off. So, I I don't see our Canadian numbers changing much at all. We talked about this before. I've asked this question to you for the last three years. 
Why the difference? What, what is well, wrong? What, what is different in the U.S. compared to Canada? It's not. Is it? It's not just demographics. Well, no, because they're the same age as us. On yeah, average, exactly. Right. So I really think when you go and you delve back into it, it, it has to do with that ten-year period before 2014. So yes, we all made record um, profits at, at the producer level in 14, but it was that it was kind of the first year you really went to the bank with that a big check to, to pay down debt and all the rest of it. The U.S. cowman had a good stretch ahead of that. And so he was much more ready to, as soon as the moisture conditions improved, to you know, grab that expansion by the horns and go with it. And we just, we just didn't have that uh, wherewithal from, an, from a profit perspective to do that. So uh, I don't disagree with that argument at all. It makes a lot of sense to me. At what point is it, okay, that, that's the past and that, that was a, that, that's been a, a while ago, a long time ago, and we've got to sort of start to look ahead here with our industry because doesn't it put us in a little bit of an uncompetitive position at some point? Well, from a numbers perspective, but how, how do you argue to, to build the herd as we're going to start to see smaller margins ahead? I mean, it does the two don't augur well. It, it just feels like we probably aren't going to do much in the way of changing numbers at all. Now, the repercussions from that down the road as far as slaughter numbers available, all that kind of stuff, have got to be concerns. But I just don't think um, somebody's going to wake up and say, okay, we're going to have a massive herd expansion here in Canada because we need to. Yeah, uh, it's going to be... For long-term success for the feed yard and for the packing industry and for the ranching industry, we need a we need a long-term solution. Well, yeah, that sounds good on paper, but the economics aren't going to be there. Oh, that's well, that's well, way too negative to end like that. Okay, so what's happening on December seventh? Okay, so I wanted listeners to remember we've got the WTO announcement on cool um, scheduled to come down on December the seventh. So that's just over a couple weeks away. That will be, of course, the, the, the date that the WTO um, announces the amount of retaliatory uh, tariffs allowed for Canada and Mexico. And uh, from that, of course, we certainly hope that the next step is that the Senate uh, votes to repeal COOL, like the House did earlier, and uh, that that's the end of the story. Uh, but again, so we don't know what, what's going to happen with those numbers and the reaction um, at the Senate, but um, stay tuned, I guess, is the message. Any opportunity or chance of any change in the messaging now that we have a liberal government uh, as opposed to a conservative government? I don't think so. I, I think governments around the world are, are, would be wise to uh, stand behind uh, the WTO and what happens. I know that hasn't always been the case in the past, but I can't see why they wouldn't in this case. KN, well, thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you again in uh, hopefully two weeks. It's been great doing it in person. Maybe I need to make a trip to East End. There you go. Come on out. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks. 